BakerBots LLP provides podcasts for educational purposes only. They are not legal advice. This communication may constitute attorney advertising. Welcome to the Environmental Evolutions Podcast, where we explore the changing landscape of environmental law and policy. I'm your host, Megan Burge, coming to you as always from Joshua Tree, California. Today's episode takes us to the great state of New Jersey. In June 2020, New Jersey passed S-232, a landmark environmental justice law that requires the state's environmental agency, NJDEP, to promote what may be some of the most stringent environmental justice permitting regulations in the nation. And it embraces many of the principles being talked about by federal agencies right now as they consider how to implement President Biden's executive orders on environmental justice. Here to talk with us today about this landmark law is Scott Novak from our very own Environmental Safety and Incident Response Group. Prior to coming to BakerBots, Scott worked with multiple environmental nonprofits and was a fellow at Georgetown Climate Center. Thanks for joining me today, Scott. Thank you, Megan, and great to be on. (laughs) All right, Scott, we've talked a lot about environmental justice this year. What is so special about New Jersey's law? So I think there are two things that stand out about this law. First, it requires extensive consultation with environmental justice communities, which the law calls overburdened communities. So some of the requirements that facilities seeking permits must um, complete is they must prepare what's called an environmental justice impact statement that assesses the environmental impact and associated public health risks of the project. It takes a lot of things that federal agencies do under the National Environmental Policy Act and outsources them to the private sector. So now private entities have the burden of compiling these impact statements but focus specifically on environmental justice. Now, the second thing that is unique about this law is that it could prevent permits from being issued for facilities located in overburdened communities under certain circumstances. So, for example, facility permits may be denied if a new facility would, in light of other environmental or public health stressors that affect the community, cause or contribute to adverse cumulative environmental or public health stressors and that are higher than those borne by other communities. And in this situation, the agency can grant a permit for a facility only if the new facility will serve, quote, a compelling public interest in the community where it is located. And then in that case, the agency must impose conditions on the construction and operation of the facility to protect public health. So it's quite an innovative and comprehensive new law. Yeah, that's a pretty big deal and certainly has a lot of teeth to it. What kind of facilities are we talking about? So there's a range of facilities. The law lists in particular. So these include major sources of air pollution. There's resource recovery facilities or incinerators. There's sludge processing facilities, combustors or incinerators, sewage treatment plants, solid waste facilities, scrap metal facilities, landfills, and medical incinerators except for those that um, attend to hospitals and universities. And the New Jersey Commissioner, Sean LaFourette, has talked about extending this to cover Title V facilities as well. 
Although in this case, a permit could not be denied for a Title V facility under this law, they could require uh, additional permit conditions. So that is also notable. And for listeners who might not know what Title V is, Title V is the operating permit that major sources of air pollution are required to obtain under the Clean Air Act. So that is potentially quite a broad expansion, Scott. Yeah, indeed it is. I want to back up a second to talk about the term used, overburdened community. You explained that this comes straight from the statute. Can you talk a little bit about why this term is significant? Yes, this term is significant because this is what will define what facilities these additional permitting requirements apply to. So an overburdened community is defined in the statute as one of three things. It's a census block in which either one, at least 35% of the households qualify as low income, two, or at least 40% of the residents identify as minority or as members of a state-recognized tribal community, or three, at least 40% of the households have limited English proficiency. So any one of these three types of census blocks could qualify as an overburdened community. And now the agency, NJDP, must publish on its website a list of overburdened communities in the state. And this list must be updated at least once every two years. Now, on January 19th this year, NJDP published a list of overburdened communities in the state with associated electronic mapping data. And it identified 3,168 census block groups that qualify as overburdened communities. And this includes over 4.5 million people. So we're talking about quite a large area under this statute. Scott, I want to pause on this point for a minute, because when we think about the mindset of the regulated community, it's normally determining whether or not a law or a requirement applies to our facilities based on factors at our facility, what size we are, how many emissions are being emitted every year, things along that nature. But here, the determination of the point of whether or not you're the point of compliance is extraneous to your facility. So it's not data that you might have at the tip of your fingertips. So it's going to be critically important to pay attention to these metrics as they come out from the agency and as they're updated. Yes, we can post the the map of overburdened communities that NGDEP has come out with in the episode notes. I think that will be a really useful resource for regulated entities or potentially regulated entities um, to look at. And again, that will be updated every two years. So you could not be in an overburdened community when you first build your facility, but later on, that classification could change. So it'll be important to pay attention to. Great idea, Scout. We will definitely do that. So we've talked about the basics of what the statute does. Let's talk about how it's different from existing laws on the books. We hear a lot about environmental justice being incorporated into existing laws like the National Environmental Policy Act, NEPA. How is this different from NEPA? So that's a great question. NEPA is nearly procedural. So there's a lot of great things about NEPA. But at the end of the day, it doesn't have much teeth in terms of determining whether a permit is approved or denied. NEPA asks federal agencies to consider all of the potential environmental impacts of a proposed federal agency action. And they also must include 
an environmental impact statement, if there's going to be significant environmental impact and consider a range of reasonable alternatives, but so long as they adequately consider the environmental impact and the range of reasonable alternatives, there's no substantive requirement. There's no determinative outcome on whether the permit is approved or denied or what conditions come along with that permit. This New Jersey law differs substantially from NEPA because this does impose requirements if there are disproportionate impacts in overburdened communities as a result of the building of a new facility, potentially if that facility does not serve a compelling public interest in the community where it's to be built, the agency cannot approve the permit. So that is a very significant difference. I think this law is more akin to California's Environmental Quality Act because under, or CEQA. So under CEQA, public lead agencies in California must impose feasible mitigation measures to substantially lessen or avoid significant adverse effects of a project on the physical environment. So CEQA has a little more teeth than NEPA does too. So this New Jersey environmental justice law kind of follows in those footsteps of CEQA. All right, Scott, why does this matter outside of New Jersey? So this matters a lot because this could serve as a model for other states that are increasingly prioritizing environmental justice. And secondly, along those lines, this legislation is also serving as a model for legislation on the federal level. There is the Environmental Justice for All Act that was introduced by then-Senator Kamala Harris and Senators Cory Booker and Tammy Duckworth back in August 2020. Now, this Environmental Justice for All Act has been reintroduced in March 2021 Um, by a number of representatives, as well as Senator Tammy Duckworth. And if passed, this law would require agencies to deny permits under the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act if they determined the permit terms would not be sufficient to ensure a reasonable certainty of no harm to the health of the general population or to any potentially exposed or susceptible subpopulation of different census block groups or tribal census block groups. So... It follows a similar strategy that this New Jersey law does. And during his campaign, President Biden also promised to instruct the attorney general to implement, to the extent possible by executive action, the Environmental Justice Act. One last thing for why this is important is these environmental justice considerations may also come up in how NEPA implementing regulations are altered. So the Biden administration issued the, its NEPA phase one proposal, which reincorporates consideration of direct and indirect effects and cumulative effects when drafting environmental impact statements. And the Council on Environmental Quality, in revising NEPA regulations for what's going to be called NEPA phase two, the Council on Environmental Quality has already indicated that it's going to focus substantially on climate change and environmental justice provisions. So again, you probably won't see something that has teeth that says you you must deny a permit if X and X conditions were met because NEPA doesn't provide for that. But there will be this growing focus on permit considerations and how permit approvals consider environmental justice in other venues as well. Scott, that's a really good point. NEPA is a critically important statute that applies nationwide and is having 
a lot of focus right now simply because you can't talk about expansion of renewable energy without talking about expanding our transmission network in this country. And in many cases, that may mean going through the NEPA process, which can take years. Yeah. And, and that's also really important because I, I used the phrase before that perhaps I shouldn't have. I said, you know, NEPA doesn't have as much teeth. But when it comes to delaying projects, NEPA can have quite a lot of teeth by various interest groups saying, oh, you forgot to consider this one particular environmental impact or you didn't adequately consider this alternative. So in that sense, NEPA has quite a bit of teeth. So a, an increased focus on environmental justice in that forum, even though it, it'll be different in how it does it, it'll still be consequential for businesses. It's the value of time, as they say. Indeed. Okay. Well, I think we are coming back to focusing on where the New Jersey law stands now. Are there any updates on NJDEP's regulatory process that you want to share? Yeah. So NJDEP has been quite busy. They have held six stakeholder meetings between October 2020 and June 2021. And here's some of the high-level ideas that have come out of those stakeholder meetings. And so what I'm about to discuss is just potential directions that the agency has indicated they have not yet promulgated the regulations yet. Take us through the list, Scott. <laughs> so here's the list. So they have evaluated over 60 stressors and may propose 31 types of stressors that will have to be considered in environmental justice impact statements. And these stressors range from permitted air sites in the overburdened community to truck traffic, surface water quality, particulate matter, things of that nature. And so then they have what's called a combined stressor total. So this is the sum of the number of stressors that are higher in the overburdened community than the most protective geographic point of comparison at either the county or the state level. So if a combined stressor total is higher than the most protected geographic point of comparison at the 50th percentile, then the permit applicant must go through the environmental justice impact statement process and submit supplemental materials. And they will also be subject to heightened permitting barriers because again, if it, and this is for a new facility, if the new facility exacerbates stressor levels that are already higher than the geographic point of comparison, then they might not be able to get permitted at all. Now, if the combined stressor total is lower than the geographic point of comparison, then that applicant must still prepare an environmental justice impact statement, conduct a public comment period, and hold a hearing. Um, but if there is no disproportionate impact, the applicant can move forward without additional conditions. So that combined stressor total is going to be very important for regulated entities to pay attention to. In particular, how such totals will be determined, that part's a bit unclear right now. Um, there's also some important updates regarding the compelling public interest exemption. And again, this is the exemption that you must meet if you are a new facility that's going to create a disproportionate impact on public health or environmental stressors that are already higher than the geographic point of comparison on the county or state level. So for this compelling public interest exemption, the agency has indicated that it will not allow for economic benefits of the facility to qualify as a justification. And they've listed some examples of facilities that might meet this exemption. 
And these include things like public water infrastructure, appropriately scaled food waste facilities, and renewable energy infrastructure. And in these cases, if avoidance is not feasible, the facility must provide mitigation measures or other feasible conditions that either reduce stressors from off-site sources within the overburdened community. Essentially, that's an offset. They would have to be offsetting their public health or environmental impact somewhere else that may not even be at the proposed facility. Um, so that, that's another interesting provision that's being considered. And the agency is also planning to further define what types of facilities the law will apply to. All right, Scott. So to recap that, right now they're holding stakeholder meetings and they're really considering three things, which is a giant list of stressors for the environment, a compelling public interest exception that will not focus on economic benefits, only environmental and health benefits. And they're considering what, how, and when to expand the list of types of facilities that could be subject to the law. Did I get that right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. All right. What else? And so on September 20th, 2021, Commissioner Sean Latourette issued an administrative order that requires 60-day public comment periods for all facilities seeking permits in overburdened communities. And this comment period can be extended for an additional 30 days upon written requests by members of the overburdened community. Now, the order also requires that such facilities hold a public hearing and the department must um, apply such special conditions as may be necessary to avoid or minimize any environmental or public health stressors upon the overburdened community. Um, so this essentially, this requirement applies right now, and it's essentially a more binding step toward enforcing the environmental justice law until regulations by the agency are finalized. All right, Scott, we've gone through the ins and outs of what the legislation is and what proposals are on the table to implement it. What kind of practical advice do you have for companies that want to address environmental justice issues in light of the New Jersey developments? You might want to consider what the most meaningful methods of engagement for your company are, because they'll differ based on the type of company and the type of existing relationships you have with communities in your area. So, for example, you could conduct advisory panels, community meetings, reaching out to local environmental organizations, and seeing how you might be able to collaborate together. You should also consider formulating a concrete set of environmental justice goals with metrics to track your progress. And again, those goals will differ by company. Uh, you can also proactively mitigate the public health impacts your operations may have on those communities. And finally, it'll be important to stay up to date about how environmental justice regulations in your particular state may affect your company's operations. Because if anything, what laws like the ones in New Jersey indicate are that it may become increasingly challenging to permit facilities that produce pollution in certain states. That's a pretty good list, Scott. We've got engage, have goals, proactively mitigate your health impacts, and stay up to date on newly developing EJ regulations, which, by the way, I love that we just threw that out as stay up to date when, like, that's not a challenge in today's current environment. But, you know, life goals, as they would say. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining me today and providing an update on the New Jersey law. And with that, Scott, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on, Megan. For our listeners, all the materials referenced today are available in our episode notes. I'm your host, Megan Burge. Thank you for spending time with me today.
Thank you for listening to this BakerBots podcast. For more information on BakerBots practices, please visit us at bakerbots.com. For over 180 years, through 13 offices in nine countries, BakerBots has the experience, knowledge, and people to solve our clients' most significant legal issues. This presentation is provided by BakerBots LLP for educational and informational purposes only. It is not legal advice. Under the rules of certain jurisdictions, this communication may constitute attorney advertising.